Moncrief on News Talk. Fran was speaking about the relationship that she had with Patty. This fella from Daily Waters, Patty Moriarty, he moved over there. I had big, big, big trouble. Big trouble. If you want to talk to me, I'll talk to me. And you bloody gas baggers, friends, and I'll tell you straight, you old mole. <laughs> to hear so candidly where there was no reason to not tell the truth, where everyone just kind of laid it on the line in terms of what they thought of each other, fascinating material to have access to in a case like this. Most of us get on reasonably well, you know, there hasn't been a, a murder or anything here yet. <laughs> that was Last Stop, Larimar. You can stream now on Netflix. James Dempsey uh, joins us uh, once again. So yet another true life uh, crime documentary, James. Yes, but I have to admit, I enjoyed this one so much. I found it like such a just like moorish, interesting, fascinating documentary that like a lot of true crime stories doesn't come to a particularly satisfying conclusion in the sense that they don't, you know, reveal who done it. But still, the journey along the way is just so, so, so enjoyable. So Larima is a, I guess, I, I don't even know if township is correct. It's one street in the middle of the Northern Territory in, you know, North Australia. And like, when you think of one horse towns, I mean, <laughs> literally all this has is 11 residents sitting in, in their verandas, scowling at each other, looking at the bar where half of them were barred, even though there's only, you know, 11 people in the whole town. And in it was this Irish emigrant named um, named Paddy Moriarty, who had arrived in Australia in the 1960s. And I mean, he's the biggest stirrer of all of them, right? What's, so essentially, the whole mystery of this is that one day, a few years ago, Paddy Moriarty went missing. And it is very unclear what happened to him. Both he and Pet Dog disappeared off the face of the earth. And there's an awful lot of earth in the Northern Territory. And no one has ever found him since. But in the meantime, quite literally, every single person living in this town is a suspect of some kind or another. And it all comes from a kind of first time, at least in this genre, a first time director named Thomas Tancred. He's actually American, but his parents are both Australian and he used that in order to get kind of inroad into the town. He was originally um, like a, a, a casting director on reality TV shows like Fear Factor going back like, you know, 20 years or so. And I guess what he has from that kind of job is an understanding of one, how to take normal people's incredible stories and two, how to get them to say the things you need to get them to say when you're creating this kind of documentary because the material he gets in this is just quite utterly staggering. So basically, he happened upon this mystery when reading Twitter uh, a few years, five years ago, I think. And the mystery has kind of been brewing in Australia in the sense that everyone is a suspect in the town. There's a chief suspect, but... To be honest, there's kind of enough suspicion to go around and they are all pointing their finger at each other. And I didn't know anything about it myself until I sat down and watched it. There are two parts, runs to about two hours in total. And I found the whole thing absolutely riveting because it's like watching, it's kind of like watching a play, right? You have this like, and no offense to any Northern Territory listeners tuning in to Newsog, if there are many, um, you have this like backwater Nothing. I mean, you think of small towns in Ireland being like a church, a pub, a post office, and that's it. 
Like this literally has the pub and a pie shop <laughs> where the pies are suspect. In fact, our, like one of our first introductions to the woman who runs the pie shop, her name is Fran, who's also, uh, you know, is suspected. I mean, everyone is suspected. Uh, one of our first introductions to her is her saying, you know, in a news interview, oh, yeah, the toilet is absolutely full. My husband's waiting to come back and <laughs> empty it. And I'm thinking, yeah, I probably won't stop here for my pies, right? So Larima was this little watering hole like in the middle of the outback where people used to stop because car engines couldn't carry as much petrol as they can now and in the years since has declined and declined and declined to the point that there was only like 12 people living in it and then paddy goes missing and they all hate each other and it's just absolutely fascinating how people who have nothing to do except hate each other just will talk at like viciously about how much they hate each other and what's incredible about the documentary is how well they piece it together because you know there's all the, the people to be introduced and explained there's the mystery of paddy and where he you know where he went or what might have happened to him there's the kind of explaining of why he may have uh, been a target for uh, whatever did ultimately happen to him and then there's also this very playfulness with regard to you know Look, I'm not, I don't think it's a great spoiler to say this is a, you know, a, a, a another true crime where, you know, we don't quite know who done it. And that's ultimately a very unsatisfactory thing about true, true crime. Episode after episode after episode, laboriously turning over, you know, every clue and every uh, red herring to then get to nothing. <laughs> right. And here, the good news is there's only two episodes. So there's actually not that much to turn over. The second is. Not only are they happy to turn it over, they're literally slinging it in each other's faces. I mean, they're sitting, absolutely ripping each other to shreds, tearing each other apart, hating each other. Everyone seems to hate everyone. And I'm watching it going like, what are you doing, lads? Have you nothing better to do with your time than spend your entire life hating someone else? But mm -hmm. it's, it's just fascinating. Great hatred, little room. Do they explain how a, a, a town with only 12 residents manages to keep a bar and a pie shop in, in business? <laughs> Well, I suppose there, like, I mean, there isn't foot traffic, put it that way, right? There is, there is passing traffic, but I guess you get this great scale or, or this great understanding of the scale of Australia, because like at one point, Fran, who is the, the pie woman, um, like she talks about how she was driving up to Catherine, which is a city in the Northern Territories. I don't know if city is correct, but it's bigger than Larimer anyway to do her shopping and get her hair cut. And it was a 19 hour round trip. So like how they keep it going, I suppose, is because like for some of them, the bar is like the only jewel in the crown of Larma. It is the only center where I guess uh, people come. And, and the man who runs the bar, his name is Barry. He runs it with like an iron fist because he bars people left, right and center. And he, you know, if you look at him the wrong way, he'll absolutely kick you out and you won't be allowed to come back ever or maybe six months. It depends on kind of his humor on the day. <laughs> they are like, you know, I, you know, like I watch Neighbours. I'm, I'm looking at Ramsey Street, which is this socialist utopia in, in, in the suburbs of Melbourne, where neighbors are bending over backwards to help each other out uh, to the point that it is almost ridiculous, taking in waifs and strays, etc. And here, neighbors are just so contemptuously, viciously attacking each other and don't have a good word to say about each other. And what we heard in the clip actually was perhaps the most fascinating bit of it all is we hear from Paddy himself, right? Because a few years ago, tensions boiled over and it made kind of the local news and a local news crew in Darwin or somewhere where made their way to Larma and they interviewed all the residents where they were more than happy to talk about how much they hated each other even before Paddy went missing 
presumed murdered. Mm -hmm. So, frankly, rot had set in long ago in this town. But as a viewer, it, it, it makes for just the most compelling, interesting, richly observed uh, and enjoyably so misery. <laughs> I just can't explain it. I love yeah. it. Right. OK, that's uh, uh, right. We'll move on to our uh, next show. It is Invincible. New episodes of season two every Friday on Amazon Prime Video. Good to see you, kid. What can I do for you? Going back to school made me realize it's the wrong place for me right now. I need to be out there. You need to start calling on me again. Hey, hold on. I'm better. I'm stronger. I'm ready. No, you're not. You're not, Mark. What? What do you mean? You think I haven't been watching your early morning outings? That's why I need you. I need to do more. It's only been a month, Mark. Focus on your mom, your grades, your girlfriend. You want to go to college with Amber, right? You can't do that if you don't graduate. I can save lives. You did. You saved a ton of them. But you also went through an emotional tumble dryer, and I need to know your head stopped spinning before I let you back in the game. So no, not yet. You can't stop me. I don't need your permission to be a superhero. You know who else said that to me? I'm not my dad. I'm not my dad. So I suppose, James, there's so many superhero uh, shows that, that, that maybe the animated ones get overlooked. But from everything I've read, everyone seems to be saying this is an animated show and it's absolutely the best of them. I am I'm a big fan of it. Now, I read the Invincible comics uh, years ago, so I, I kind of, I guess, I bought into it long ago. And I'm familiar with the characters and I'm enjoying how they're doling it out and the little changes that they're making here and there. But all in, it, it is a very interesting comic because it's very referential anyway. So Invincible is the name of both the hero and a kind of description of him. He's kind of like a Superman uh, type character. He's he's the son of a of a, an alien. He's got he, he's half human. He's very strong. He can fly. He is quote unquote invincible. He can't, however, uh, you know, blow great puffs of air or laser his eyes at least not yet anyway. And uh, in it, it takes place in our world, but a slightly varied version of it, as in you have all these archetype of characters that are referring to everyone you've ever seen in every, you know, every superhero version you've ever seen, but it is violent. And the thing about animation is they're not in any way impeded by anything beyond imagination. Fight scenes can be choreographed absolutely to whatever you could possibly think of. Whereas when it comes to like a live action comic book show, we're limited by the effects of CGI, the time, the budget, and I guess even the ability of the actor. Now, what I think is kind of funny is we have had this huge glut of comic book movies over the last, you know, 15 years in the cinema, and it seems to be in decline. And Disney was obviously capitalizing big time on this because they had all the Marvel TV shows. And even the best one, Loki, is kind of stuttering along in season two, not doing anything particularly too exciting. And Amazon, which threw all its money, I mean, billion dollars towards Lord of the Rings, to not particularly great fanfare, has found that actually its nihilistic superheroes are doing great gangbusters for them. So between this, The Boys, The Boys spin-off Gen V, and there's a Boys animated spin-off in there as well. <laughs> Amazon has sort of cornered the market for like very violent, brutal, darkly comic superhero superheroism. 
And I would argue of all of them, Invincible is the strongest. Now, I in, I reviewed Invincible uh, when it debuted, you know, I think maybe 18 months ago. And I was a bit cool on it because I'd only seen the first episode. But it is a show that got better with every single episode. And by the end of its maybe eight or ten episode run of the first season, it was absolutely riveting. The voice acting is brilliant. I mean, the cast is fantastic. So we have Stephen Nguyen as uh, Mark Grayson. You'll know him from Beef and from uh, from uh, The Walking Dead, which was also co-created by Robert Kirkman. You have Sandra Oh, J.K. Simmons, Gillian Jacobs, Gillian, I think she is, Walton Goggins, Sandra, Zachary Quinto, but like a million other people, Seth Rogen, Mark Hamill, John Hamm, Herschela Ali, like they can attract anyone, to be honest, to do a quick recording booth session here, because I think a lot of actors are very happy to lend their voice to superheroes rather than pull on the spandex themselves. It is a very dark look at superhero superheroism. And if you like the boys, you know, that kind of like, uh, this is not all what appears on paper. And there is a whole structure behind it, you know, the whole terrible hierarchy of misery behind it. My problem with the boys is I find it a bit joyless at times, you know, like it, it, uh, it, it is, it can be very funny and very wickedly funny, but there seems to be not a lot of humanity to it. Whereas this is more straightforward in its storytelling and you have at its core, this, this teenage boy who is developing his teenage powers, but also has the weight of the world on his shoulders. And it's beautifully animated. The action is fantastic. And at times it's very funny. Okay, good stuff. Right, our third show is The Gilded Age. New seasons of season two every Monday on Sky Atlantic. Here's a clip. Mrs. Astor, thank you for coming. I'm delighted to see you. You have guests I wasn't expecting. You never said you'd invited the McNeils. I'm afraid that they have spent a long time on our waiting list. Much longer than you. Several guests here have spent time on your list. Have you combed the city for the disenchanted rich who couldn't get a box at the Academy? <laughs> Mrs. Astor, the Academy Board may think they can keep out the new people with impunity, but you're clever enough to know they're wrong. While the Metropolitan would welcome the old guard if they want to come, why not take a box in both houses and see how it plays out? Perhaps you do not value loyalty. I am different. I should scold you, Mrs. Fish, but I know that you're just playing with matches, as you like to do. Ah, may I present Mr. Gilbert? Or do you know him? I know of him. He is in charge of grubbing up the cash for the new house. <laughs> Not flattering, but true. <laughs> I was hoping your presence here was a sign you were open to argument. I am open to fetching my coat. So, nice costumes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the nicest costumes, all right? So I would have reviewed The Gilded Age when it started to, uh, you know, a year ago, a year and change probably. And the thing about it was, it was like Julian Fellows had, you know, retired Stanton and was bringing it stateside and M uh, HBO throwing all this money at him then COVID happened and it interrupted uh, the production and it actually was to their benefit because COVID shut down all of Broadway and all of these Broadway stars were suddenly available and they thought these are the actors who can really chew this dialogue. And the thing about it is, like I mentioned Neighbours earlier, this is absolutely a soap opera. It is the most expensive soap opera on TV at the moment. It is lavishly made. The costumes are beautiful. But like if you're watching this and you cannot see literally where absolutely every storyline is going, uh, you haven't watched an awful lot of TV. I will give it credit. I got up early this morning specifically to watch the second episode of The Run. I don't know if 7 a.m. showing is really it at its best. And there was a, a twist, a reveal at the end that like got an actual gasp from me. And I thought when a show that is so clearly plotted like Google Maps 
actually manages to kind of capture you, it's even more compelling and interesting. It's a bit like And Just Like That, right? And Just Like That, the Sex and the City spinoff, it's not a very good show, but it is eminently watchable. And this is not a very good show. It is about rich people fighting over an opera house, right? And their place in society. And their solution to literally every single problem, let's spend money, right? And I'm not even sure, like, you know, so we have Carrie Coon as Bertha Russell. She's married to um, this robber baron. I'm not supposed to, I'm not really sure if we're supposed to be on his side. I don't think robber barons were good. Otherwise, I don't think they would have gotten that name. But he's sort of portrayed as like this loving dad, nice guy, father. Uh, he's even about to have a lunch with a union man to bust the union before it even starts. And it's all funny, funny, ha, ha, ha. And then the, you get these like, biting asides from Christine Baranski, and it's all so low stakes. I mean, the stakes here are minimal. Will will the beautiful young woman find a husband? Yeah, she probably will. Right? Okay. Like it's all, it's all stop, just stop ruining it on me there. Now. <laughs> right? But it's it's all so um it's all so low stakes and well packaged and beautifully acted because they have all these brilliant actors who gave up on their Broadway dreams and are now getting that HBO money. And who can blame them? I find it very, very, very enjoyable, but not kind of good. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Those three shows are Last Stop, Larama. Stream now on, you can stream the two episodes of that now on Netflix. Invincible, that's season two. Uh, new episodes appear on Amazon Prime every Friday. And The Gilded Age, new episodes of season two every Monday on Sky Atlantic. James Dempsey, thanks a million. Moncrief, weekdays at 2 p.m. on News Talk.